If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet are of the utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here's your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome, everyone. The heat is on. At least it is here in Memphis. It's been hot lately. Summer has arrived. And when summer comes, you know, we like to think of it as, you know, those trips to the beach, barbecues, your beer getting hot while you're sitting outside. (laughs) It doesn't last as long as it does in the wintertime or because you guzzle it down before it gets too too warm. You think of flip-flops. You think of family trips and outings with your dog. And so many people love the summer, mm-hmm. wearing shorts and short sleeve shirts. and It's just easier in the summer. You don't have to put on all those hats and gloves and coats and all right. that stuff. Hence, mm-hmm. speaks a southerner. Yes. <laughs> However, if you're from up north and you're listening from up north and you're from Alaska, like me, you hate the summer. I think nature built me like a dog or like a wolf. I just hate the summer. Uh, I get heat rash. I have allergies for the first time in my life. And I think Dr. Kelsey and I both are suffering from those today. So if we sound a little nasally, uh, well, just deal with it because you probably are as well. Uh, So Mm -hmm. anyway, we're going to talk about there are some real dangers, not just an inconvenience, but real dangers associated with dogs associated with heat. There just is. Uh, I hear, you know, with us taking care of dogs here, uh, doing a lot of our board and train programs and boarding and daycare, what do I tell everyone around here? I never worry about... The winter. Exactly. Mm -hmm. December, January, February, they are my friend. Mm -hmm. They are your dog's friend. Uh, I worry about the months of July, August, and September. Yeah. And again, do you, when you think about it, dogs have come a long ways from their wolf ancestors, but still, they still have a lot of those same physical characteristics. And one of those is nature never designed a wolf to have to deal with heat. Why should you? It's in the northern hemisphere. You can climb to a higher altitude. You can wade into a creek. You can burrow into the ground. You can find shade. In other words, if you work at it, you can escape the heat if you're up north. However, you can't escape old man winter. No. Old man winter will find you in the valley, find you at the peak, find you in the ground, find you on the, <laughs> in a creek. <laughs> it will definitely find you. So therefore, dogs were built to withstand cold much more than they were able to withstand heat. But today we have Dr. Carr Kelsey in the house. Uh, again, if you remember from a uh, past episode, he came in here and talked to us about canine cough. And I tell you, ever since then, as far as the heat that's normally associated with a dog getting canine cough, and everyone calling it kennel cough, which is just pure wrong. That's just rude. It's just mean. It's just mean. But anyway, ever since Dr. Kelsey came in here and enlightened everyone about canine cough, the heat has been off. But now he's here to share his wisdom with us about summertime maladies with dogs. And uh, the the unique thing about um, Dr. Carr Kelsey is his vet hospital specializes in dogs. And we know that because we were picking his brain 
just earlier before the episode started about cats. Yeah, he knows he knows about cats too. Yeah, that's Kelsey so get, Canine. That's right. Cats. <laughs> we get trained on all of it, but uh, <laughs> Kelsey Canine, feline, here it comes. I see it coming. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, we had to pick his brain about our cats. Uh, not that it's a heat issue, but there's some other issues. It's it's only. The cat owners are getting heated up. Yeah. All right. So enough of that. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Dr. Kelsey. Appreciate you having me back. It was Amen. a lot of fun last time and look forward to this discussion. Indeed. Well, let's get after it. So tell us just right off the bat, uh, are these the hardest months for you? Do you see more patients uh, with any sort of heat-related illnesses? or? Yes, definitely. You know, typically our business in general, in veterinary business, um, gets busier from spring through September, October, you know, there's longer hours in the day. So people are real active with their dogs, taking them places, taking them to the lake, take them to, you know, the dog parks. And they're just doing more things with dogs right now, uh, which is great. And um, so, yes, business actually kind of picks up. We're a little bit seasonal in that respect. Um, Some of the the things that we do see more of, and I think we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about the heat and allergies and and fleas and ticks and heartworms. So all of that, you know, becomes as it's died down during the wintertime for most dogs that, you know, it's it's cranked back up right now. Um, You know, in terms of the, you know, the the heat issue, uh, we're here in the south, we're in the Memphis, um, you know, it gets hot, it gets humid and um, there are we'll see several kind of emergency type cases where dogs do have heat strokes. And uh, it's, 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 it's really bad and uh, can be, you know, honestly life threatening for, for some of them, if it's really, if they've been an extended, you know, uh, heat exhaustion is kind of what you call it. Um, So people have to be aware of that, especially as the summer in the hot weather approaches. So, um, you know, with the with heat strokes, the big things to be looking out for. You know, you think first off, dogs have a coat. Right. <laughs> they have a coat. Their their natural tendency is to be warmer than us. I mean, their average temperature is about 102, 102 and a half. So they're already running wow. several degrees hotter than we are. Yeah, think about mm-hmm. that. If, you know, if if we were walking around with a 102 degree temperature, You'd 78 is going to feel warm. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, now some dogs have longer coats than others and shorter coats, but. Um, you know, the dogs that are probably more prevalent for heat strokes um, are definitely the big, one of the big groups of what we call the brachiocephalics. Those are those smush-nosed dog face, oh, the, uh, pugs. the pugs, the yeah. bulldogs, um, the Pekingese, all these, um, uh, you know, the, the little dogs that do that because they just can't make that air exchange um, as well as a lab or something like that. So, you know, dogs, uh, I think you actually mentioned it before, are uh, touched on it, but you know, dogs don't really sweat. They do sweat in their pads and their paws, but that's very, very little. I mean, ninety percent of the way they um, cool down is by panting and breathing it off. Mm. Right. You know, people <laughs> ask that all the time. They go, "How do dogs cool off? Right. How yeah. How do you do that?" And it's through the paws. Mm-hmm. And and if their paws happen to be on a hot surface, let's say you're walking on a sidewalk or concrete that's been heated up, it's mm-hmm. 85, 90 degrees. I, have a, I can just imagine that that's going to have an effect on the ability to cool down as well. That's right. That's right. And, you know, right now, as people open up their pools, this Memorial Day weekend's coming up, um, it probably, again, several times a year, we'll see a dog that has, you know, spent the Saturday racing around the pool, barking and chasing, and they'll come in on Monday, and their pads are literally starting to slough. 
Oh, and um, so because they've been burned, because they've been burned slash, and also just because, and, and they're cutting around and running yeah. and jumping on the concrete that they haven't been on, you know, maybe all winter. Um, so the heat plus, you know, just running around and going crazy, but they'll have several pads that are, you know, they're sore. I mean, it, it, so I have a question for you. I've seen dogs like shoes. Should people put them in some kind of slippers or something like that when they want to take them for a walk? <laughs> yeah. You know, the, most dogs don't tolerate them. That's the biggest. <laughs> it, they do exist and they're out there. And in, so, in some cases it kind of works on. But no, they do exist. And they're in, um, but, you know, most dogs shake them and they'll rattle them mm -hmm. off or they, they chew them, you know, and they try to take them off. They don't like anything on their feet. You know, you yeah. try to trim their nails. They, you know, most dogs hate that. So. Anything yeah. on their paws, but so just don't walk on the really hot surface. Though. Yeah, and try to time limit it. You know, I mean, if they're out, if you're out there three or four hours this weekend on Memorial Day, you know, maybe don't let your dog be out running circles around on the on the concrete mm -hmm. around the uh, pool. Yeah, for that whole time because they will get sore and it will. Yeah, um, they can. I know when we're training, we always feel the pavement to make sure oh, well. that it's not too hot to right. down the dogs and things like that because right. they don't want to get burned on their bellies. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's idea. some sensitive areas down there. You lay them down. <laughs> you tell you know, to sit. And every now and then you have home. an intact male and you ask it to sit. And all of a sudden it does a three-quarter sumo sit. <laughs> and sure. it's got this look on his face like, seriously, Brian, can I? Can we go do somewhere else? Right, and you're right. going, oh, my bad. Sorry, right. dude. <laughs> Didn't mean that. Uh, yeah, we'll move up. over here to shade. It's a little bit cooler over here. Right. Yeah, the, you know, the pads, they are, you know, I didn't even think about this, it's, you know, especially around a pool. Mm -hmm. I, I guess because our pool and our dogs are around our pool all year round. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in it year round. I'm in it in the wintertime. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like a polar bear. <laughs> you know, I, I never thought of that, but you're right. All these mm -hmm. pools are going to start opening up. You know, we typically will see it like in a daycare. Mm -hmm. You know, they're on concrete. It's usually right. got a broom finish so that they can get traction. Right. And not sliding everywhere when the hose hits it. But, yeah, I mean, you're not used to – zigging and zagging and mm -hmm. doing it in your bare feet right then yeah you're going to come right. away with a good abrasion on your paws and then that opens it up for infection right so now we start having secondary problems third problems behind right. that uh all sorts of issues right a lot of times we'll put them on antibiotic and anti-inflammatories and just try to give them some relief but yeah. Yeah. yeah well guys out there if you've got a pool and you're about to <clears throat> open it you just heard it. Be careful about having your dogs doing laps around the pole and everything. So mm -hmm. speaking of that real quick, because I didn't really have that on my list of mm -hmm. questions. Mm -hmm. This week was incredible for everyone out there listening. Uh, when I announced that we were going to be doing a show on, you know, again, summer issues with dogs. Wow. The email floodgates opened up. You can find what's kind of dear to people's hearts. So we have a bunch of questions to get to. But while we're yep. on that pool, can I ask you something about this as well? Because this does get asked as, as part of a question. Cooling a dog off using water. Mm -hmm. Belly only or the whole dog? Uh, three spots. So if your dog was really in heat stroke or heat exhaustion, you know, one, they're going to a lot of times collapse. They're just not going to be moving. They're going to be panting hard. Um, you know, if you really got a dog thermometer, you could, you know, anything over about 105, 106. I mean, that is hot for a mm -hmm. dog. Um, now, having said that, the things you can do at home, because we do recommend that these, this is one case uh, with heat stroke that you actually want to try to treat at home before you hit them, you know, jump them in the car. Um, which is you want to hit, you want to cool down their paws and the pads, like you mentioned, their belly and inner thighs, because that's, you know, there's no hair there. Mm -hmm. And the other spot, which does have hair, but is over their jugular vein. So their neck, 
because that oh. juggler is carrying a lot of blood, a lot of blood flow going up and down. So if you cool down their neck, even ice pack the neck and just wrap it, you can put an ice pack on there. But don't spend 30, 40 minutes before you come to the vet. Try to spend, you know, five, 10 minutes, do those things and on the way on over, over to the vet clinic. Um, sometimes uh, even rubbing alcohol on the pads. Again, if the pads are not ulcerated or anything, the alcohol evaporates real quick. But the best thing, really, the quickest thing to use is just water. Just cool water as best you can. Feet you know, the thighs, the belly, and then again, over the neck to cool that down. Um, and, uh, and then when they get to the vet, a lot of times we'll, we'll do the same thing. And, um, you know, but if they, um, some of these dogs, I mean, again, they'll come in just collapsed and we run blood work on them because they can actually be an organ failure. Mm-hmm. Um, I had mm-hmm. an, I had an older, <clears throat> I had an older golden retriever cl- uh, patient that he, he, he needed a grooming. He was just a, he, he would, he had mats and just a lot of hair. He just, and he, and he was obese. That was the other thing. So if you had an obese dog, um, in a, you know, very hairy dog, those are probably two scenarios you really don't, or you want to avoid being outside for a very long time. And even here in the mid South, I just even tell my folks with the brachycephalics, the bulldogs, the Pekingese, the pit, the pugs, they just really don't need to walk them outside in the summer when it's 95 degrees and it's 90% humidity here. Um, you're just, that's uh, something bad's going to happen most of the time. So just let them go potty and go, just back let in the them house. go to the bathroom and come on back into that cool floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah make an indoor gym. That's right. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> treadmill, whatever. I, you know, seriously, I've, well, I mean, you can, you can yeah. put the dogs on a treadmill. Right? Oh, my police service dogs and a lot of our sled dogs would run on treadmills because when you got eight feet of snow, well, kind of hard much. to run on that. Yeah. Uh, so we'd have to keep them in condition by doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to know. Uh, well, while we're at that, cooling vests, because that was one of our questions. Someone wrote in, we had a, a guy named Michael write in, and he mm-hmm. said, Brian, do cooling vests work for dogs? I've seen them. I haven't honestly seen any report about how successful they are. Again, I think it's more about the coverage. So I, personally, I think about if it that the vest probably doesn't work as well. Now, if you're just out there training and working them, you know, having a cool vest on overnight, probably good. But if they're actually, would it be able to totally prevent, you know, a heat stroke? Uh, I would doubt it just because of where it's covered over the chest. And again, you're not on that bald area or over where the blood flows a lot or where they perspirate on the feet. So yes, I think if you're training in a hot area and you put your dogs in good shape, put on a cool vest, I'm sure they'd enjoy it and like it a little bit better. Yeah. It made me think because you talked about where to put the water yep. and that is not where the vest is. Right. Right. Yeah. But I guess it's trying to approach it from a preventive. Yeah. You know, I think it'd be more approach. preventive. Exactly. Yeah. Sure and wouldn't hurt. I imagine the dog's hair ha- plays a lot into that, how thick the coat is and right. everything else there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so now again, one thing leads to the next. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about water. Mm. I know I drink a lot more water in the summertime. I just can't get enough. I even have a little app on my phone. And yesterday I showed it to Kara because I got this trophy on it. It says you, you drink all of the water you're supposed to, which I don't know what their formula is, but you basically have to be part camel to reach that. Yes. I, you know, I remember I yeah. first looked at it and I went, there's no, no way. I'm <laughs> never going to drink 180 <laughs> right. ounces of water. How much ounces does a human need? Right. Well, I did yesterday. It was hot. So that being said, I get asked a lot about how much water, and I know it's a broad question, but right. I'll let you explain, about how much water should your dog drink? Should you be concerned if it's hot out and your dog is not drinking? Tell us about yeah. it. Yeah. So, well, first off, the big thing about water is just make it available. 
you know, it maybe if it's even multiple spots around the house or especially if you're outside, you know, again, talking about Memorial Day weekend, make sure even the pool is not necessarily a great water bowl, <laughs> but have a water bowl out there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for them to have access to. But in terms of quantity, you know, actually it's not too far off, but usually around an ounce per pound of dog uh, per, <clears throat> per day is what they're going to drink or should be drinking. That's a lot. That's a lot which more seems than I like, thought it would be. You know, which yeah. seems like, yes, yeah, so, you know, a good bit, but they, um, you know, it, but there's a lot of dogs. So we do, you know, blood work on our annual checkups and I bet 20 to 30% of the times our blood work gets back and the dogs are dehydrated. Wow. Based on the numbers. And you can tell that. And um, so, you know, it's really, you you can't tell a dog to drink. So I tell people sometimes like, (laughs) you know, hey, add add a little bit of water, you know, add a couple tablespoons of water to their their food bowl. Um, uh, That's an easy one. I mean, they're going to eat. So put a little water to it. You know, maybe even add a a can or two. I mean, I'm sorry, a can or two, but a spoonful of canned food. Um, Because, again, that's a lot of moisture. Um, But some, you know, especially the little dogs tend to be more dehydrated Mm -hmm. or at least not drinking as often as, you know, again, a lab or a golden retriever or what have you that just seem to love the water. Or our husky. Or the huskies. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, He was, you had to take him away Mm -hmm. from the water. But Mm -hmm. that's that's when he's having those real gastrointestinal issues. Right. Yeah. He's not Uh, as bad now. No, no. Now that that's all under control. You know, one thing that falls under y'all's training category. Uh, category or issues that y'all probably deal with i hear all the time with my puppy owners they say oh i pull the water bowl up at 6 p.m and i gently always try to tell them well, you know they at least need water access till mm. right before bed right. um yeah. you don't want a, a puppy you know you want them growing you want them healthy they don't need to be dehydrated so and it's not right. going to change if they have a sip of water at 8 p.m whether they urinate it you, you know this whether yeah. they urinate it not overnight or not yeah, that water moves through the system pretty fast. Right. You know, and it's, and part of owning a puppy is get ready to get up in the wee hours of the morning. That's right. It, it, it is. If you, you can't handle that, then don't get a puppy. Get an older dog. Yeah, right. get an older yeah. dog for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now the next one. Yes. <laughs> and these things just keep on rolling. So yeah. I had another question. Now that we're on water, is ice bad for dogs? So the biggest reason I'm not a fan of ice is they will crack their teeth. And oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Does so, that work for teenagers as well? <laughs> I can attest to my uh, one of my first root canals, I believe, was an ice-related incident. Um, but it, they do. They can, you know, their, their teeth are very strong, definitely. But they're, um, they definitely can crack teeth. You know, I do hear that. Again, a lot of my clients will come in like, he just I loves ice. I drop ice. That. and. They just run over there to things, it. You right. would think those would be harder yeah. than ice. Right. I know. Oh, yeah. But ice, does, it, can, it can definitely chip a, a premolar or a molar. Um, Our dogs love ice. They're going to be so sad now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we got to soften it a little bit. Put <laughs> yeah. in their food. <laughs> and it, it depends, too. You know, some, some ice makers, of course, are making the chipped, and those are probably fine. But the ones that make the big... You know, the bigger pieces really of ice, big, the big, thick, cubes, hard yeah. ones. Yes. You know, you do want to avoid that. Yeah. When you go and get that five pound bag of ice and after an hour, it's one big five yeah. pound right. chunk of ice. Right. Don't give that to yeah, the that's dog. Not, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. right. We wouldn't have to worry about that with one of our dogs. He didn't. How many teeth does he have left? Like six? Chicken. Oh. He has six. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. chicken, aka day. What kind of it, what kind of dog is he again? A morky, a morky, oh, the right. Maltese okay, Yorkie yeah. mix. He yeah. had All fourteen right. teeth pulled. Oh wow, yeah, that's a lot. Yep, from chewing ice. Probably. <laughs> <I know. laughs> that's probably all these what years it was. of <laughs> chewing ice. Right. You know, I tell you, 
I, I did not know that. You know, mm-hmm. I love it when I learn something. <laughs> you know, not saying that I'm that, I'm that smart. It's just it. I never thought about the teeth cracking under right. ice. Because, again, mm-hmm. you're fixated on these bent bones, yeah. these big knuckle bones, these mm-hmm. shin bones. And you're thinking, what's ice? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's, what's that? water. Right. Why is it yeah. water? Right. Well, I'm going to take part of this episode and we're going to play it in front of our teenager. Yes. Because <laughs> he crack your teeth. likes to chew ice mm-hmm. all the time. Make you crazy. Mm. Oh, yeah. does it do anything to, if they chew a lot of ice, uh, well, I, I would just have to imagine that does count for hydration. Sure. Absolutely. But is there anything with any sort of sudden cooling if they do that, uh, no, I'm not talking hey, brain problems. freeze on a dog, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like with a human. How can we ask them? Wonder yeah. if they get that. <laughs> I wonder. They might. Yeah, they may. All right. So, gosh, one ounce per pound. Mm-hmm. About That's an ounce a per lot pound. of water. That is way so more water you, than I used to know. You can't get on me anymore for filling the bowl. To the rim. You know, that's basically, but so that's about, you know, an ounce is uh, about two tablespoons or close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you think about these little, well, your Morky, for instance, is probably five to 10 pounds. You yeah, know. we have one that's five pounds and one that's seven pounds. Right, right. They're and tiny. how much, you're right, they're drinking or not drinking. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But adding the water to the food, that's a really good idea to get hydration, you know. And I, I would have to assume you take them for a two mile jog. They're panting heavily. Right. First of all, do you give them water right then or do you wait till that panting subsides? I'm fine with them giving water, but they need to measure it and not, you don't want to just over, um, let them overfill on water because they will, a lot of times they'll throw up right afterwards. So mm-hmm. I'd probably offer a little bit of water and let them drink a little bit and then pull it up. Okay. And then, you know, do it in little stages of offering water like that. Is there any threat <coughs> of um, bloat from water? Well, you know, bloat, a lot of it's genetics um, based on the, the parent history of the dog. Uh, but yes, I mean, a lot of times bloat does happen. They come in, you know, they do happen um, after they've exercised, they come in and they'll, they'll run and they drink a bunch of water. You know, that has been a theory of, mm-hmm. of the veterinary medicine for a long time. And I do think it does happen. I've seen it before of where they're, um, where that happens. They just drink a lot of water and that stomach fills up and, and it twists yeah. and flips. But, so you have to watch how much you get. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And same thing while they're eating, you know, they might come in and eat, you know, right after a, a big run or whatever. But, you know, I had a friend in veterinary school. He, he, he was a big time runner. He had like a seven pound Yorkie and that dog ran with him every night, three to five miles. Oh, my God. I said that was the most in shape little Yorkie I think I've ever seen before. The rats but, couldn't walk. But he learned, you know, that but he staged it and the, and the dog grew into it and the dog was fine with the run, you know. I bet that it was, was so cool. It was funny see. seeing this beefy, buffy guy <laughs> run down the road with his little five-pound Yorkie. Oh, my God. Well, you know, I, I always tell everyone there's a little bit of irony in that whole thing there because people start to jog with their dog mm-hmm. and they go, wow, a mile. And he was worn out all night. Right. Mm-hmm. But then next thing you know, a month goes by and now I need two, two miles, miles. Right. Yeah. and then three miles. And right. all of a sudden we're doing the half marathon yeah. together. Right. And right. I yeah. guess it's a good thing, but yeah, animals get in shape just like human beings. Right. They do. That's right. And everything. So if you're running with your dog and it's hot outside, how do you know when your dog has had enough and you should quit? Is it when they aren't beside you anymore, yeah, in front of you? They're lagging behind? They're lagging behind. You know, of course, again, they're going to pant anyways. But, um, I mean, again, most of the time, yes, I mean, it would be a collapse. I mean, if they literally just fall down or just are not going to go any further, mm-hmm. um, not good. You know, definitely get them in or try to cool them down quickly. Um, 
but, um, you know, one other thing about running, which is a little bit about, not as much about summer, but, um, I do tell my puppy owners, especially with labs, they get a lab, they want to run with them. I say, you know, Hey, wait till they're about a year, 14 months old, let that, the bones skeletally mature enough before you yes. go pound on the pavement. Um, now they can run and play and have fun through the puppy stage in that first year, but they don't need to be the serious runner until they get skeletally mature. Mm, yeah. mm-hmm. And is there an advantage to running I would imagine on grass versus oh, I think or the, dirt road or versus pavement. You know, I, I would think the dogs probably enjoy the grass and the, the, the countryside, you know, yeah. the, the cross country type run over the, the pavement, pound in the pavement. But, so that leads me into the next little part of this little segment here. Let's talk about allergies. Oh, yes. uh, do we, is there, it's amazing to me how many dogs that we have encountered here in the last year or two, that the owners claim that they are allergic to grass. Wow. You know, again, if you're in mm-hmm. New York City, I guess that's a good that thing. Out, that's fine. Yeah. But yeah. if you're here in suburbia America, that's got to be a real issue. Is that a, a real type of allergy? And do you see a spike in that? I would have to Absolutely. imagine because, of course, summertime you have grass, wintertime you have dead grass. Right. Yeah. You know, one of the top two um, uh, visits to the vet are allergies and ear infections. Uh, and that's reported by the um, the veterinary industry, the insurance industry of vets, so what they get claims on. Mm-hmm. And so um, allergies are true. They're real. You know, we live here in Memphis, Mid-South. And I think Memphis always ranks the top, you know, one, two or three city in America for most pollen and all that kind of stuff. Yes. And we feel it. Well, the dogs feel it as well. Um, you know, typically with allergy in dogs, we see, you know, they don't do it traditionally like we do. So we'll get teary eyed or sneezy and wheezy, kind of like I sound right now, I think. <laughs> um, they are, they basically will chew their feet. They lick their paws. They'll scratch or shake their head for shaking their ears. Um, they might lick their belly or inner thighs a good bit. So not nothing that luckily we don't do that. <laughs> we don't chew our feet. That's really, that'd be, that'd be pretty bad. But that, that limber. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering. How do that. I can't get that done. Kara can chew them for me. <laughs> there you go. No, thank you. Yeah. So, um, so chewing feet, scratching, um, uh, and then sometimes the owners will see pustules or redness to the mm-hmm. skin. And, um, so you, what a lot of times will happen is that dogs can be, when we test for allergies, I mean, it's like 75, 80 different allergens and they can be allergic to people <laughs> just like dogs or people can be allergic to dogs. No way. They that's test that's for, my problem. We had a technician <laughs> whose dog was allergic to people dander. So human dander. Um, so what did he do? Well, they lived with him and <laughs> the dogs lived with them and, you know, but uh, it's kind of funny how it goes back and forth, I right? I never knew that. And uh, now dust mites, you know, I always say never, I never claim a client's house is dirty or dusty, but we all have dust mites hmm. and they, that's one of the top allergens. And then again, any of the grasses in the trees, the oak and, and things and some, some blossom or, you know, grow, you know, maybe in the September or October in the fall and we'll see a spike then, but from about now, you know, or uh, usually around April, it cranks up and through October, November, um, these dogs will have allergies. And luckily, um, I've been out, uh, I've been a veterinarian for 20 years now, uh, this year, and um, there's a lot of great medications out for allergy in dogs. I was going to ask you, how do you treat it? Mm-hmm. Well, um, here's one place where most people don't consider is bathing their dog. You know, we've kind of probably overtaught. Yeah. to to not bathe and that's true for most dogs except for allergy dogs 
just think of this if you were myself included when you mow the yard you're all dusty and grass all over you you want you know, the first thing i'll do run in get a shower clean yeah. off yeah. so an allergy dog it's the same way you want to bathe them more frequently now, easier said than done, right? Uh, especially if you got a big dog, but you know, if you've got a small, smaller dog, you know, bathing them once to twice a week, even just to rinse off those allergens are going to, it's going to be so beneficial to your dog. Again, it's hard. It's not as practical, but it really does mm-hmm. make a difference. Then luckily, again, there's medications that are out. Probably one of the biggest medicines we use is called Apoquil. Um, it came out, gosh, probably seven, eight, nine years ago. It has been a real game changer because it's not a steroid. So in the past, you know, as just like people, uh, steroids have been a kind of a mainstay and they still do work well, but they do have a lot of side effects. Liver values go up. Dogs drink a lot. The number one thing that clients complain about is they drink a lot and they pee a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, you don't want that at, you know, 1am to go get up all the time. Um, so Apoquil has really changed this. It's, it's, uh, it really kind of blocks the, itch impulse the itch nerve conduction so they don't feel it so i mean they don't feel the itch as much so they may still be allergic to stuff so it's not blocking that which we can talk about immunotherapy like the the actual allergy injections but um but it blocks that nerve impulse to itch so it's a really cool little medication um and then there as well they came out uh, i guess probably a couple years ago with a injectable type uh, medicine that is a cousin to apoquil called cytopoint um, if you're not familiar with it, if your dogs have allergies, I, mean, I would definitely ask your veterinarian about these two medications. Cytopoint lasts for 30 to 50 days. So one injection, usually for 90% of the dogs that are, it works, 90% of dogs it'll work on it. It'll last 30 to 50 days. So it's. Gosh, that's awesome. I wonder if we should try that for Poe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Side a point. Site is C-Y-T-O. Oh, oh gotcha. Point. C-Y-T-O point. Cytopoint. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, guys, you heard it. Uh, I I think we'll look into that because yeah. we have a dog who scratches a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I used to try and clean her belly off when she'd come in Good. from outside, and I, but it didn't seem to work. Right, so right. Just, we thought it was maybe just behavioral. Sometimes we tell them, but you know, even if you have a smaller dog, you could try baby wipes and just wiping their feet off. You know, so their feet are itching, and that's why they're licking them. The feet are right? itching their the um, their tummy, their belly. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to think that we called it inhalant allergies where they were just inhaling it. But now we know it's, it's mostly by contact, which uh-huh. makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a contact thing. Um, a lot of dogs will get secondary bacterial infections, mm. pustules and, and what we call cholerates. They look like, maybe they look like, honestly, a lot of people come in thinking their dog has ringworm because it's kind of a circular flaky scary, uh, uh, scabby area. And um, at least for dogs, it's not, ringworm's not that common. It does happen. But, um, but the skin infections do happen way more often with the bacteria. And so what happens basically is that, that with an allergy dog, your skin barrier layer is uh, not working, if you will. So there's a thin little fatty layer of skin that does, you know, that protects the skin. In our normal, the bacteria on the skin just kind of overpopulate and have a party is kind of what I tell clients <laughs> and when, they're aller- when they have allergies. So, um, so secondarily, a lot of times you're treating, you know, back to, with an antibiotic for weeks, um, plus the allergy medication, plus the shampoos. Um, you know, uh, always <laughs> we joke that you know we uh, we hate it because we are always sending home with clients, you know, a just bags of stuff to of stuff yeah. to, to kind of treat it. You know, it's kind of a shotgun approach. You know, you're hitting it at multiple angles mm-hmm. and not just mm-hmm. like a, a rifle approach. Um, 
but uh, but there's a lot of good shampoos. There's a lot of again the apical and the cytopoint, and then also uh, should bring up too the allergy injections. You know the traditional you think of the person maybe you get allergy shots. You know once a week. Um, heck, I did uh, mm-hmm. for weeks for I mean for five six years as a child I've had allergy injections, um, and um, so those do exist. The allergy testings are really good for dogs, um, or to get allergy tested and you know specifically what you're gonna. Um, which your allergen shots are going to be made of. Um, most dogs, about 75% of them do improve with allergy injections. Now it takes a while. It takes probably six months to a year, but they will improve fairly significantly on the allergy injections. Hmm. Um, about again, 75% of dogs do. So there's a lot of good things you know, the dermatologists, most big cities have uh, dermatologists and they stay busy. Uh, our, our veterinarian here, Dr. Brown is, is excellent. And, you know, where you refer some of our more difficult cases over to her. Um, and, you know, one other aspect about allergies that, you know, there is a food component. I think we were talking about food before we went live here, but yeah. um, there's a food component. Some dogs can be allergic to certain foods. Now, I think the, um, I think people, owners think it's probably more frequent than it really is, mm. but nevertheless, it does exist. And, you know, there are there's multiple different diets, you know, on the market for food allergy dogs. So, um, yeah, we have some that come in for training and we can't use our treats because they're poultry right. based poultry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, right. A lot of those, uh, on the contact, um, allergens. And right. What about a heat rash? Mm-hmm. Is, is that something that that's dogs are prone to getting, uh, or is that just basically an allergy that, possibly a dog owner thinks is a heat rash and confuses the two because it's summertime. Right. Well, some, so in specific about a heat rash, I don't really think dogs get that all that often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now I'll, what some people do call heat rash, it's a hot spot, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, which is an area that gets greasy and red and irritated. Sometimes it's in the skull, the, the fold of skin around their mm-hmm. neck, yeah. um, or it can be anywhere, really. It could be on the shoulder or the rear end. Um, but the, those we do see in the heat, the hot times of the year right now. Um, and, you know, a dog would just acutely start chewing or scratching at a certain spot. Yeah. And those are hot spots that, that just pop up. And, um, and again, it's a bacterial component. It's a, it could be a bite. It could be a mm-hmm. um, flea and tick bite and that kind of thing that sets them off. Um, but, uh, you know, we've already, we've already seen one or two of those already this year. So they, yeah, as the heat gets up and the hot humidity, um, again, if you have a thicker or um, uh, a deep coated dog, that's got a lot of deep undercoat, those are more pre- prevalent to get uh, hot spots as well. And again, if you have a lot of skin folds and things like that. We've seen them develop on their paws. If is that mm-hmm. Would that be a hot spot? They sit there and they lick their paws if they're anxious or nervous. Oh, or yeah. So um, those can look very similar, but those are, um, we call them lick granulomas. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The lick granulomas typically over the wrist or their ankle. Yeah. Uh, easy. So, you know, it's kind of like a pacifier. Well, mm-hmm. y'all probably know as well, mm-hmm. trying to deal with some of those. Nerves. Nerves. Yeah. Anxiety. Just look on yourself. Kind of like a human biting their fingernails right. all the time and just working on it. And finally, you you break that thin little layer of skin that you're talking about. And next thing you know, here comes bacteria. Boom. Right. Yep. And now you just got chink in your armor. A uh, question that I had asked uh, that came in uh, from Cheryl. Cheryl asked, uh, should dogs take heartworm <clears throat> year round? You know, it doesn't matter if you live in the north or in the south. Is what is the policy with heartworm? 
So yes, 100% of dogs across the country ought to be on heartworm prevention year round. Now, having said that, um, all fit. So actually I just came back. We had a seminar last week. Um, all 50 States have diagnosed heartworm disease. There's not a state in America that does not have heartworm disease. Um, even Idaho, Idaho was hanging on, I think for several years, but this last 10 year census, it reported it did. Um, I know there are, you know, some of the states or some of the veterinarians that maybe up north, you know, might recommend it six months or eight months out of the year. Uh, they're so prevalent. It's and it's so easy to prevent it. Why not? You know, why not prevent it and, and use the couple of things? You know, you got the monthly tablets and I, I use for my own dogs. I use the six month pro heart injection. So it lasts six months. It's great. Um, but heartworms are everywhere. They get them by mosquito bites. Um, you know, people think that maybe it's from drinking dirty water or being around another dog that it's not contagious, but they just get them by mosquito bites. So if you've got mosquitoes anywhere, anytime, the potential to spread heartworms is there. Um, they do exist in the wildlife in terms of the, the coyotes and the, um, at least around here, the foxes and things. These dogs don't live nearly as long because they have heartworms. Um, and again, it's just so easy to prevent. Um, but heartworms is, is real. They typically will, um, they take a, a, a good couple of years to develop. Um, and unless you're really testing for it annually, which is what we recommend and most, most veterinarians, at least in the South definitely do is, is uh, test annually. Um, you know, you're not going to see it though, but you, you know, the symptoms take a long time to develop with heartworms, which is good. I mean, you know, the dogs, um, they don't suffer immediately from them. It can take months to years for them to actually start showing signs, mm -hmm. which would be like coughing or lethargic and, um, uh, you know, just don't have much exercise or exercise intolerance. They get tired out pretty mm -hmm. easily. That kind of explains that. We've had uh, a lot of clients over the years who there's a stray. It's picked up a young dog, six months right. old, maybe a couple months, give or take a little bit either way. And the dog is not heartworm positive. Right. Then all of a sudden a year later, mm -hmm. it is. Yep. And they say, wait a minute. And of course, they cry foul. What happened? They obviously didn't test my dog. They said that they did. Now my dog has heartworm. But so you're telling me that just that that long latency before that. That's right. So it actually off. takes. Um, that's a great point. Um, all of our rescues and strays that come in, I mean, from a client that that gets a rescue, we have them come back six months later for a second heartworm test. We don't even wait the year. Mm. <clears throat> so it, it gives a false negative. Well, what happened? It takes six, it literally does take six months for let's say a mosquito bit a dog today and had heartworms and gave that to the dog. If they're not on protection, the test will not show positive for at least six months. Wow. So you could text next month, then following month, it's the third month. They're always going to be negative, negative, negative up until that six month. Then they will show up positive because it takes that long for the the larva stage to reach the heart and actually develop into a mature worm, which is what the test is actually picking up is these antigens from the adult females. So it takes six months for them to, to uh, again, pick it up in the bloodstream. Hey, you know, you, you rescue organizations, shelters, mm -hmm. put that information out, yeah, make sure that's available because just yeah. from our own personal experience, I cannot tell you how upset people become right. when they bring their dog here and they say well by the way i'm not going to go back to that veterinarian again because right. he screwed up the test or i'm not going to get a dog from that shelter again because 
they screwed up the test. There's there has to be a, a lack of knowledge here. We yeah. need to educate that a little bit more. Yeah, that's right. Because they do think that wow, either that or the medicine that they've been spending, right. what they consider a, a great amount to protect their dogs, did not work. That's the number one thing I hear people say, well, obviously, he's been on medicine since day one or month one. And I'm like, well, it's not the medicine. It's just you're just picking up a heartworm disease issue that occurred before you even started the heartworm prevention. Hmm. So, um, but you're right. People blame, you know, and, and they're frustrated and I can understand so. Yeah. Um, I think for I had heard somewhere that it's dangerous to give your dog heartworm medicine if they actually have heartworms. Is that true? So the um, so when when a dog has heartworm disease, we do put if they're not on it, they need to go on it because you can't. Um, you know, you're, you're preventing future infections. The heartworm treatment itself is actually just taking care of the adult heartworms that are actually existing already. So you still need to continue prevention because um, they're two different things. Um, there is, there are small percentage of cases. If they have, if the dog has heartworms really bad and you give a dog the heartworm prevention, they can't, I, I honestly, in 20 years, I've not had it happen, but they can have an anaphylactic reaction. So the little babies, if you will, in the bloodstream kind of have a shock to their system. They kind of die pretty quick. And so there are some dogs, but again, as we are in a deep heartworm area Mm -hmm. and I've never seen that occur. So the, the benefits again, far outweigh the the negatives. Some veterinarians will actually just keep the dog actually in the clinic Mm -hmm. for the half a day or a whole day and just watch them and make sure that they don't have a reaction. If they've never been on it again, if they had heartworms and they were positive, you could do that as well and make you feel a little better and be safe. Um, so, so if you pick up a dog, just to kind of go over that, because this is really important. Mm-hmm. If you adopt a dog from a shelter, rescue, wherever, heartworm negative, started on heartworm. Definitely. Then have the dog retested six months later. That's right. Mm-hmm. Every time I, I put that reminder in our computer or the technicians do, and, um, and, and we, for the most part, we've, we, that, that kind of started changing in the last, you know, four or five years because I had several that, um, they, again, they'd come back a year later and it's, and you have to go through this whole story. Well, mm. you know, if you'd come back at six months, he probably would have been positive at that time, just showing that it wasn't your fault. It wasn't the medicine's fault. It's, it's just the previous history. He wasn't on the heartworm prevention. That is so good. So to no know. matter how old your dog is. I mean, if your dog is 15 years old, they still need to be on heartworm medicine. If yes. they're going yeah, outside, would, if they're they going outside, be on. right, right. The more your dog's outside, um, the more prevalent they're going to get, the uh, possibility of getting heartworm disease. Just even with, and there are, and I will say, um, these last again seven or eight years of heartworm, there there are um, some breaks in heartworm prevention. There are um, there's some resistance out there in certain strains of heartworms. Mm. Um, that's a scary that, thought. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, there was a time we would diagnose, you know, several a year and they, you know, the people swore up and down, they had a great purchase history. You know, they bought a year supply and all this kind of stuff. Um, we're not seeing that as much the last few years in Memphis, um, which is very good, but either way, regardless, you know, you um, it's, you know, the advantage is, you know, just use heart and prevention. You're going to, prevent 99.5% of cases of heartworms if they're on the, on the medication. That's honestly why I like the ProHeart 6 um, is because it's, it's, it's a, it makes it only twice a year. You have to remember to give it. 
Yeah, that's it's so funny. Some clients will come in and they're like, oh, I've got three of those left. Well, <laughs> that, those, that, that didn't work. They didn't give them during November, December, and January. That's right. Right. Now they have three left. Yeah. Uh, I have a, a question, if you don't mind. Right, yeah. um, so I've heard that cats can't get heartworm. I know we're supposed to be talking about dogs, but yeah. I do love my cats. So too. cats do get heartworm prevention or heartworm disease. And um, again, here in the Mid-South, we do recommend heartworm prevention for cats. It's very hard to diagnose. <clears throat> um, there's... The test, the blood test on on that we have for dogs that takes you know ten minutes in in a clinic, um, is not as successful. It's not as accurate as it is in the cat, um, and so the cats um, a lot of times will do X rays. You can do ultrasounds of the heart to actually physically look for mm-hmm. the the worms, um, but they can be plagued with them as well. It's not again, it's not as common. Probably if we had better testing, there might be a, it might be more common than it currently is. <clears throat> but um, it's it, yes. If you're if you're if your cat's especially outdoors, even indoors. I mean, how many times have you killed a mosquito in the house? Last um, night, right? Yeah. It's again around here, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, your cats really do need to be on heartworm prevention. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's topicals on cats. You know, they're probably not going to take the. I was wondering chewable. how you get them to eat it. <laughs> yeah, I think the number one uh, still is revolution for cats. It's a topical. They just put it on the back of the neck. Uh, revolution. Um, it's a good little product. But Heartworms would probably be healthy for our cat. It might, may actually make the heart beat. <laughs> you know, that <laughs> shock cat. thing if we go to. Oh, yeah. He He's a move. bit lazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> lazy is not the word for him. Fleas. Everyone talks about fleas. Okay. Once you get them, you've got them. You do. They're big time. What is, uh, first of all, let me ask you this. Are they host specific? Meaning if they're already on a dog, right? do they just jump right off onto the next dog that they're wrestling with or whatever? Do they hit the ground first, do their thing, then get back on the next host? Yes. So, so they're, the number one actual um, flea is the cat flea and the feline. It's, uh, it, it's a cat flea and it's on dogs and cats. Uh, so it's not species specific. Um, now it does like, you know, it'll jump on us, but we, you know, and they may bite once or two times, but generally speaking, they don't like hairless animals. <laughs> they want to be <laughs> shadow. They want to be in the shade. They want to be hidden. So they don't last on us very long. But um, yeah, so the number one thing around here or in America really is the cat flea. Um, so, but again, it's, it's cats. It goes, it jumps on cats and dogs. Um, you know, the fleas. So one female flea could have four to 500 offspring in her lifetime four to five hundred so i always tell people when you see one flea literally that is the tip of the iceberg (laughs) there are more huh (laughs) there are more there are more out there and um and so some dogs are actually have flea allergy so they're allergic to the flea bite itself the flea saliva bite um they are allergic to and it and it's a fairly classic allergy which means uh, when we when they come in a lot of times we just call it their bald butt their their mm-hmm. back end over their rump and tail is kind of is hairless mm-hmm. or very thin hair and scabby and they just are chewing at their their rear end and almost always i mean probably nine out of ten times it's a flea allergy and and, and for me i don't i don't even have to find a flea I'm, you know, I'm that convinced that this is a flea allergy most of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, we want to run a few other tests and things like that, but a lot of times it comes back to it's probably a flea allergy. There could be one flea and that dog is just lit up. 
and chewing and scratching that hard. Um, but the, so the, and then the other part about the fleas, and this one, I think you, you alluded to it a little bit is they last, it could take, I usually tell my clients, look, this is going to be an eight to 12 week, maybe longer process to clear them out of your environment in your house Oh my! Gosh. because the babies, you know, the little, um, the little pupa stage, the little cocoons that they make, those are following, falling off the dog <clears throat> and into the environment, the crevices in the hardwood, the, your, wherever they lie, wherever the dog's laying is a hotbed for those little baby eggs. So the dog bed, you know, the couch that they're always on, um, those things that, and so there's those pupa or those little babies are going to hatch. So they could be hatching based on humidity and temperature. They could be hatching over the next, you know, four to eight weeks. And therefore, you know, it looks like, Hey, we gave them this medication. We killed the adults, but we didn't get rid of Mm -hmm. the babies that are going to have to hatch. You know, it's just natural. They're going to have to do something. You can't really get after the pupa the babies. So, um, so even doing like a, a flea bomb or something in your house is not going to so kill them. It helps. It does. It definitely does help. Uh, any of the bedding I tell people, um, you ought to throw it in the dryer first. The dryer will kill things better than the wash. So mm-hmm. you can put you know, turn on the heat. This is the same way with, for ticks. If you think your clothes have got a bunch of ticks on them or anything or the, or, <clears throat> or the bedding, you throw that thing on the heater in the hottest you can get it and crank it up for, you know, 30, 45 minutes. Those, those suckers are going to die. Then you can go back, throw it in the wash, wash, and then dry it again. But um, it's not the washes that's going to kill them. It's actually going to be the heat from the um, dryer. You know, I've, I've just got to ask this because <laughs> it gets asked to me all the time. And I don't know if it's silly or not, but it sounds silly in my brain. But I'm going to ask you, all right, you vacuum up yeah. the area. Do they come crawling out of your vacuum? Well, you're pretty much because <laughs> <laughs> people say that all the I time. I think they could. I think they came out I, of my vacuum cleaner. Uh, you know, I think they could, but usually the vacuum is going to be used to get those baby eggs, those pupa that are out yeah. there in the environment. That's what you're rattling up and sucking up is trying to get those. Um, but yes, I could see where <laughs> I could see where a flea would could crawl out if they really want. You know, I destroyed a really good vacuum back in the days when they didn't have the, 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 uh, they had the canisters and the bags and I'd vacuum up and cause there's, this was in Southern California with fleas were just rampant Mm. year round, never got a break from them at all. That's probably in the wildlife too. Yeah. I'm vacuuming my house. And of course at the end, I'd vacuum up a little Savin's dust because somebody told me, that would work. That mm-hmm. would kill the fleas that are in the bag and they can't come crawling mm-hmm. back down that tube. Yeah. Yeah. It, that. it killed my vacuum cleaner <laughs> 10 times faster than it killed the darn <laughs> right. fleas. That thing was dead in a doornail. That little bag couldn't breathe. The air passed yeah, through it. But I fell for it. I was a sucker and, and no right. pun intended, you know, vacuum cleaner and everything. So, right. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, will they, you know, back to that, that first question. Will they hop off another dog yes. onto another dog while yeah. they're playing with that dog? Yeah. They typically, within 30 minutes or when they jump on a, a host, a dog, they're going to they're gonna have a blood meal. They're going to suck. They're going to bite and suck it. That's what they eat. Um, and then, they yes, they can move on. They typically mate. Um, but, yeah, they'll move on to another host um, at Gosh, some so point. So that's a myth that they're host-specific, that they don't? They don't just stay on. I've heard <clears throat> just on one. No, yeah, yeah they could I don't think it was so much as a myth as maybe just misinformation yeah. or mm-hmm. not a, enough science to back it up. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I do remember in the early nineties, uh, 
even uh, a big pharmaceutical company at our vet hospital talking to us saying, no, they will remain on the host. Well, if you've got two dogs in the house or three, two or three dogs and they're laying on the same bed, you know, those, they're, you know, you see them, they're all wrapped up, you know, the dogs are all cuddled up together. You know, those, they're going to exchange whatever they have on them. Um, hmm. So in the same way with, you know, you get the, you know, if you have a cat, if you got the cat and a dog, the cats can be a cruising outside and come in, you know, or cruise outside at night and bring the cat, bring the fleas inside. We hear that all the time. Hmm. Well, my dog just never goes, out. he just does his business. We never walk him around the block. And I said, do you have a cat? Yeah, oh, there you go. And I said, your cat outside. And you it's get always the, the cat's fault. Shoot the messenger. Always. That's right. <laughs> the carrier there. Uh, you, you brought fleas to my home. You delivered them. The other issue I was going to ask you about with fleas, is it better for prevention, topical or ingestion? Which one is your favorite? Well, I will say I've switched over to the chewables, to the, to the, um, to the tablets. Um, you know, I had a guy describe it to me as, uh, you know, would you rather have an iPhone 10 or would you rather have a flip phone? <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, you know, that actually is a pretty good analogy. Um, so there's a class of drugs called isoxylenes. Um, don't make me spell that. Uh, <laughs> but um, they are in the newer products, the NextGuard, the Brevecto, the Semperica. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot the other one. Um, the, the, so there's several products that are out now. And they are quick kill. I mean, they, they are chewable. So they, uh, the dogs obviously eat them up. They usually do them fine. They don't, there's, there's very few, if any, really side effects. Um, and, uh, and so, so now people say, well, doesn't the dog have to, or doesn't that flea have to bite in to ingest that product? And the answer is yes. But even when they're on topicals, the topicals don't kill enough, quick enough before they bite. So they're going to get bitten either way. Okay, right. that's my that's kind of my argument. And then again, when they suck, when they bite and eat, um, swallow that stuff in the blood, they are going to die very quickly. And that goes for ticks as well as I think we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Um, so fleas are, um, yes, they will. Uh, that I've I've switched over I guess several years back now. Um, the uh, the topicals, you know, I I thought over time I just was not seeing the effectiveness that they used to. And I think again, you know. Um, parasites adapt and so they've kind of gotten used to some of the topicals that we've had around for years uh one last question we only got a couple minutes left so i just want to ask this real quick came in so a lot you're right a lot more activity with dogs in the summertime Mm -hmm. more trips to the dog park more trips to just parks that have little fountains that are made for dogs right healthy unhealthy to share that water bowl i think it's fine um i really do i think um there's not a lot of you know, oral back and forth that, you know, dogs don't get strep throat or they can, they can actually harbor strep throat from people, but licking them, but they're not, they're not going to get sick from things like that. So, um, no, I, I'm, I'm not hesitant at all to allow my dog to drink out of the water bowl at the, that's good to know. Yeah. There's one of those water bowls on our walk and mm-hmm. I've always wondered. Right. If get sick. These restaurants have them out and all that, you know, which is great. Um, but no, I don't. I would not hesitate. There's not really even a thought about a. You know, I think about you know, what kind of questions would I ask if a dog was sick? Hey, have you, you know, have you drink from a common water bowl? And there's you don't really ask not. That, huh? It's not a question that comes up. No, no. But it's well, a good Dr. Way to ask. Kelsey, you've been awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a lot of great information. Mm-hmm. I learned so much today. I know. I just. And not a great just about time. dogs, about I, cats too. That's right. <laughs> well, I wasn't counting that. But anyway. <laughs> uh, no, just thank you so much for that information uh, about the water, about heat stroke, heat exhaustion, allergies, fleas, ticks, 
you name it, all the things that we put up with in mm-hmm. the summertime. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have uh, a three-part episode on canine pharmacotherapy. I do a lot of that with Dr. Kelsey. We hope to have him back. We'll be talking about fireworks because that's a summertime event. Mm-hmm. And that is scary. So we'll be having that episode right before the 4th of July. So that information is fresh in your head, but yet enough time to do something about it. But next week, definitely tune in because now we're going to be talking about nutrition. Good Lord, you go to any store and there's 500 foods on the shelf. GMO, no GMO. Grain-free, no grain-free. Raw's better. No, it's not. You know, so on and so forth. It's your mass confusion yeah the latest so, thing is fresh yeah All those so, different fresh foods. well we we're using yes, it and speaking yes. of fresh we are going to have on the show an interview with doc uh with uh i keep on called doctor yeah. <laughs> uh with brett podolsky he is the founder of the farmer's dog and i'm here to tell you that's a fresh food and i'm going to tell you my story about that next week on the episode about how that food I guarantee you, saved our dog's life. It's incredible. Uh, We'll have him on and talk to him about why he started this company and where does he see it going? Where's the future of fresh food versus kibble? Uh, But we'll be covering every aspect of dog food, everything from raw to kibble to fresh, you name it, and see if we can kind of sort out some of the confusion behind it. Because I tell you, it's not cheap. No, you hate not. going in there and dropping 85 to to $100 on a bag and find out, oh, that didn't work. And yeah. now you have three quarters of it left over of 90%. So we've been there. Takani had to go on 19 different foods uh, till we found the farmer's dog. And it was, I don't know how much we spent in veterinary bills, foods, you name it. So we're going to be covering that next week. Make sure if you have any questions, send them in. Brian with the Y at TamingTheWild.com. Have a great week. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. And just for a moment, think about why we celebrate that day when you do. Thank you, Dr. Kelsey. Great having you. You You guys have a wonderful and safe week. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild and Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.